Welcome back to the OSL Podcast. This is Pastor Brian, and I finally get to be back on the show. It's been a while. Done about seven or eight podcasts since I've been able to be a part of it. And one of the reasons that I'm on the show today is because I get to talk to Jessica Rutland, one of our students in the Oak School Leadership, and I love talking to students. And I invited Jessica on the OSL Podcast today because I want to hear all about her stories from the field in Japan. She is a student in our program. She's been serving in Oaks Kids for... Let's see, is this your third year? Uh, about to go into my fourth year. You're about to go into your fourth year, so you're going to graduate soon. But yes, as sir. long as I've known you, you've had this passion for missions, mm-hmm. and you've been traveling overseas in the summer. I don't know if it's to the same place, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. But the reason Jessica is on the episode, the podcast episode today, is so that we can hear about these experiences that she's had, because I want you guys to know that our students don't just like come to this program and hang out at the Oaks Church, but, but they're also going overseas. They're going abroad, doing work that's beyond the walls of the American church, this first world church, and going into other places. And so I want to talk to Jessica about that today. So I think it's going to be a good one. For sure. So welcome, Jessica. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just share a little bit about like your background, like where you're from and maybe leading into how you got here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am from a town called Flower Mounds, Texas, just above Dallas. And I grew up in an amazing Assemblies of God church. I found out about the Oaks and about OSL through fine arts when I was a high schooler. And I honestly could not wait to start this internship. I jumped in with Oaks kids and have loved every single second of it. And The main thing that really brought me to Sagu was this heart that God has given me for missions in Japan. Uh, God actually called me to be a missionary in Japan when I was 13 years old. And from then on, I knew, whoa, it's got to be Sagu. That is the place where God has called me to grow, to learn more about what this mission is going to look like in my future. And that is what has brought me here and what I've been pursuing ever since I was in middle school. Yeah, yeah. So when you say, so you said you were called when you were 13. Yes. Tell me about, like, what does that mean called when you were 13? How did that happen? Absolutely. When I was a kid, I accepted the Lord in my heart when I was six, but I really figured out what it meant to live a life for God when I was about 12 years old. I got rebaptized, and I was so on fire for the Lord for the first time in my life. I wanted to live every single moment for Him. And I remember being 13 and hearing all these things on the news about this crazy disaster that had struck Japan where there was an insane earthquake, a massive tsunami, and the destruction that. of this nuclear plant. And I found myself being so overwhelmingly heartbroken and not understanding why. I remember I couldn't tear myself away from the news. I had to know what was going on all the time, and I couldn't figure out why I was so broken for the disaster going on in this country. And I remember walking up into my bedroom and it being a very unspiritual moment, very non-youth camp kind of moment where it was just me and the Lord. And I was just talking to him, like very conversational, like, God, please just send some missionaries to Japan. Send some people over there to give them aid, to give them hope. God, please just send some missionaries over there. Amen. And to me, it was simple. Lord, help them. And all of a sudden, the presence of God just fell in my little bedroom in ways that I had never experienced before, that I had no idea how to expect. And I just really felt the Lord burden my heart and 
felt like he was just speaking straight into my heart the words, all right, I'm gonna do that right now. Jessica, I'm calling you to be one of those missionaries in Japan. And I sat there stunned for like 30 minutes because I'd never had an encounter with the presence of God like that before and just found a place for that brokenness that I was feeling in my heart and realizing that this is something that was too big for me, but that I wanted to keep praying about, keep exploring and see, God, what does this look like? Yeah, yeah. And this is when you were 12? 13. 13. Mm-hmm. So how old are you now? I am 22 years old. Okay, so you're, this is nine years ago, mm-hmm. right? And this, this passion for this place, it's a location, mm-hmm. has never subsided it's never gone away has it increased over that amount of time like are you feel more passionate about it now than you were maybe four or five years ago yeah I think over time I don't know if my passion changed I think it matured it was tested a lot over the years I'm sure it will continue to be tested for the rest of my life I mean when I was in high school I started seeing opportunities of maybe a career in ballet or theater or things that I really enjoyed doing and You know, there were times where I wanted something more than I wanted the call that God had for my life. But over time, God just continued to break my heart for it and see, you know, he can use those desires in that call. I don't have to choose between the two. And so over time, I really think it grew a lot when I realized I wasn't so much called to a place and I was more called to the people that live in that place. And I think that's what really was a, a point of no return for me was realizing, you know, I'm not just praying for a bunch of mountains, some neighborhoods, some locations. I was praying for the people who lived there who had never heard of the Lord, who had never heard the name Jesus or seen a Bible in their lives. I think once I realized that that was really what I was striving towards, that's when I found this is what I need to do. That sounds like a really mature understanding of how we get called. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be, like Paul said he was called to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And yet he went all over, like yeah. Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, all these different places. Mm-hmm. So that's really mature that you would say it uh, quite like that. I think it's really rather, it's it's pretty remarkable that we have someone who's 22, who's actually you know felt this calling for nine years and hasn't shifted to try new things. I mean, for the most part, I work with students all the time, and I I, I think most of them, nine out of every ten, if not 99 out of every 100, <laughs> seem yeah. to be... Um, let me try this thing for a few months and then go to that thing because I'm really not sure what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Let me save money and try this other, you know, degree or program or something. And, and they're not quite sure. And that was me, too. Like, I really, you know, I majored in, a, in pastoral leadership because I, I was kind of not knowing what else to do. It was more like a, something I fell back on a yeah. little bit. But I see a lot of changing. And I'm not saying that that's wrong or anything. I'm just saying it's, it's pretty remarkable that someone at 12 or 13 can start to feel this call, mm-hmm. this passion, and just continue to stay with it through a major season in your life where most people are shifting. So yeah. really, really fascinating. Yeah. Um, so talk about this summer a little bit, because you went last summer, right? I did. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you went this summer too, right? Yes. Okay, so you've gone two summers in a row. Did you go three in a row? Uh, two. Two summers in a row. We had a few... Um, conversations about it last year mm-hmm. but i haven't talked to you yet about it this year and so that's i want to do that i want to i want to talk a little bit about uh your experience in japan and like first of all what what is it about the culture that um perhaps is is very different from our culture here where are there's two or three things or four things that you can point to that say yeah this is very much different yeah absolutely japan has a really remarkable culture 
It is unlike anything I've ever seen before. It is unlike every other country in Asia, even, because it is so unique. And Japanese culture is really built on honor and shame, which is incredibly different from what we're used to in the United States. Even things down to what makes something dignified is different in Japan. Because that honor, shame, everything that they do is in pursuit of building up the face value and the honor of themselves and the people around them. So for example, they will always choose ambiguity over a hard truth because preserving the relationship is more important than speaking a harsh honesty that might cast shame or damage that person's face value on so, the side. Like they're passive? Yes. Is that what, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so especially from the perspective of an American culture, it's really easy to see that from the position of that is wrong, that isn't productive, that isn't helpful or character building. But to them, character building doesn't compare to the value of preserving that relationship and keeping harmony between the people. And so, you know, even things like, like we knew a missionary once and she got on a train and her hair was all askew on the train. And so to preserve honor for her, every person on the train shifted in their seat and turned completely away from her. And she couldn't figure out why everybody had their back to her. And it wasn't to shame her, but it was to honor her and keep her from feeling embarrassed. And so that is a respectful thing to do in Japan, to ignore uncomfortable things, to not talk about damaging things so that you can preserve the harmony and the peace of the situation or the relationship. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one. Yes. That's interesting. Yeah. That really is It's like the opposite of New York City, I suppose. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And part of that, you know, desire to preserve harmony, you also see that many many places in Japan, almost most places are very quiet all the time. You walk into a grocery store and everybody is speaking at a whisper because huh. it's more respectful to be quiet. So whenever a group of American missions trip students walk into a place, they know right away, oh, I can hear those people over there. They must be American. You yeah. know? So there's a lot of quiet atmosphere. Everywhere you go, it seems like there's a gentle environment because they really prioritize peace and harmony over anything that could be considered abrasive. Huh. Okay. So how are you received as an American? Well, American culture is received in two extremes. On the one hand, they find the artistic side of the culture really, really fascinating, really trendy. So when they see an American customer walk into a shop, they get really excited. They see an opportunity to practice their English. And so they love the English language so much. You'll see T-shirts, store names everywhere. It's written in the Romanji English letters. And so they love English culture as a whole. Everywhere you go in restaurants, grocery stores, you'll hear American 80s music playing on the on this loudspeakers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hear a lot of 80s music. Uh, They love to talk about American actors. Whenever I meet Japanese nationals and try to start conversations with them, they will ask me about like movies, TV shows. Do you know this actor? I love this actor. So I think the arts and the entertainment side of American culture is really trendy, really fun and engaging for them, while the cultural aspects of interaction, politics, all of those uncomfortable things are seen as negative and abrasive, Mm. things like the volume that Americans speak at. 
this was a hard one for me <laughs> because I am uh, I tend to be more of a louder individual. Yeah. And so it was definitely growing for me to try to put myself into that Japanese cultural well, yeah, cause mindset. You're, you're really charismatic, like happy. All every time I see you, you got a smile. And you're, oh, like, you're very you. extroverted. So, okay. Mm, yeah. So that was definitely a challenge. So I think, you know, the, the entertainment side of American culture is really fun while the interaction side of American culture is seen as very abrasive from the Japanese perspective. Okay. So how do you go about, you know, your call to do missions work? What, first of all, what, t- what type of missions work do you, do you need? Well, I know that one thing that the Lord has given me a really strong heart for is using English teaching as okay. a gateway to ministry in yeah. Japan. It is very, very common to see Japanese people want to attend church because of the English language. Our church, the church that I serve with this summer is called TIKA, which stands for SCUBA, International Christian Assembly. And this church is an international church. So we preach the sermon first in English, and then it's translated into Japanese. And so a lot of people are very excited to have a free opportunity to see a bilingual English presentation that they can use to study and to practice their English. So that is a huge draw to the community to invite people to church is, oh, we have English native speakers and we have this sermon in English. And so that really spikes interest in a lot of people just to come work on their English. So you're using that to build relations? Yes, absolutely. And what city is this in again? It's called Sakuba. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And one opportunity that I talked to my pastor a lot about this summer was the opportunity to start up an English cafe. We have a member of our church who owns a restaurant and has an entire second floor that she doesn't use and has offered to let us use it as part of our ministry. Wow. And finding space in Japan is so incredibly hard, especially in a city like ours that's so close to Tokyo. It is very expensive to find land, for example, Renting or one parking space in Japan can be up to $900 a month for one parking space. Yeah, one space can be extremely expensive. So the fact that we have this opportunity to have this entire second floor of a restaurant to utilize just for ministry is an unheard of opportunity that we're so excited about. And so we're looking at starting that up as an English cafe where we can build it almost like a coffee shop atmosphere for the purpose of students coming to learn English and if it's an atmosphere where we have lots of national English speakers like our interns and our other staff members at the church, that could be a huge draw for the community. And I'm also looking at the potential of starting up a regular formal English class through that cafe, and I can link it to the church in a lot of different ways so that they can get extra credit for coming to services, having that interaction with Christians on a regular basis would be absolutely huge. That's awesome. That is something that I'm definitely really excited about. Okay, that's very cool, very cool. So how do you build trust? Are they more, like in our culture, I suppose, you know, you can build trust by giving people things, spending more time with them or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, is that how they are? Like the more time you spend with somebody, the the more the trust is built? Yeah, absolutely. I think it is very similar to American culture in terms of quality time is a a really important aspect of their community. Even when they interact with their Shinto temples and things like that, that is seen less as worship and more as an opportunity to come together with the community. So I think, you know, really pushing yourself to be more extroverted and going out to these events 
being in, engaged in the community and involved with what the neighborhood is doing together. They want to see if you are willing and ready to be an intricate part of what the group is doing as a whole. You know, okay. so that is a really, really important part of the culture is being connected. They are very, very community based as opposed to individualism. And so that is a really important part of showing I am willing to invest in you. I'm not just here for me. I'm here to be a member of the whole. So in terms of your age, would you say the demographics, are there are lots of people your age or is it, what are the demographics like? Yeah, there are a ton of people my age, especially in that city, Sakuba. It is a college city. Okay. And it's a very science-based city. So that is where they even have the Japanese version of NASA in that city. It's called JAXA. Okay. And so you have all the international astronauts coming there to train for space travel. You have a lot of scientists and cultural experts who come there to work on their research projects and they come there to study. So it's really international. You get a lot of students from all over the world, especially on the big college campus. It's called Scuba Dai. Okay. And so we would do a lot of outreaches where we will go to that campus and spend hours just walking around and walking into the Starbucks on campus, starting conversations with students to invite them to events that we had going on at the church. And it was awesome to see how many of the college students were just ready to make new friends. Yeah. How many of them were excited about connecting with other international students like themselves. It was a phenomenal opportunity to have that campus right in that city with us. Yeah. Yeah. So did they typically respond and like, you know, like here you got to like someone you don't know very well, you got to ask them eight times to come to something before they come For sure. to something. But there, what's it like? I mean, yeah. Inviting a national Japanese person to church is a little bit of a challenge okay. because of the honor shame nature. They are always going to seem interested in what you invite them to because that is respectful to you. So you can invite them to something and what we practice in our church is always giving them an out when we invite them to something. For example, hey, we have this awesome worship concert coming up. We would love for you to be there. It's going to be so much fun. However, I know classes are really busy right now, so if you can't make it, I totally understand. Oh, okay. Because that always protects their face so that yeah. they don't ever have to say no. The word no is almost never used in, J in Japanese. Yeah. I know what it is, but I have never heard it in the okay. country because they will not tell you no because that doesn't preserve the harmony of the relationship. So that goes back to the, the honor thing that you were talking about earlier. Absolutely. It's all, it's all tied together like that. It okay. is, yeah. It is a huge foundation of their culture is honor versus shame. And so we always provide an out when we invite to something and always provide free food. Yeah. 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 So how did you go about getting over there? Did you have to raise money to do this or what? I did, yes. I definitely had to raise money and... It wasn't free? <laughs> <laughs> you know, believe it or not, it wasn't. <laughs> Japanese plane tickets aren't really the cheapest. So what I did was I raised most of the money that I made by making wall hangings. Uh, it's a style called macrame where you hang cords over like a tree branch or a stick. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Those tie are knots cool. and weave yeah. them. Yeah. So I kind of made some wall hangings, art pieces. That was another thing that really impressed me about you. You get asked a lot all the time to donate to mm -hmm. stuff and... It was cool that you were like doing some, not just asking, but doing something entrepreneurial in order to make that happen. I love that. It was awesome. Yeah, thank very you. Cool. It very was cool. it was very fun. It's very therapeutic, and I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're coming into your last year. 
right? Your fourth year of school? One more semester. One more semester, not yeah. even a year. Mm -hmm. Wow, amazing. What's your plan from that point moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am going to be graduating in December. And as much as I would like to launch off to Japan right away, yeah. uh, I want to make sure that I follow the process responsibly. And so what, what that looks like... That is going to be the AGWM process. Okay, so you are planning to go AGWM. Yes. Okay, very cool. Mm -hmm. So I have two options. I can either go as a missionary associate for a max of two years, or they have recently, I believe, I'm going to get more clarity, I believe they've recently started a new system where you can get started right off as a career missionary status, which would be really, really exciting. Really? Yes, so that would be a first term of three years where the first two you get to focus on language school that is provided for you by AGWM so that you can understand not just the language and communication, but also get really integrated into the culture yeah. before you jump in and start trying to really go out into the world around you because they really prioritize understanding that culture yeah. and being integrated with that community first. That would be awesome if that's true. Absolutely. But so that's definitely the route that you would want to take then, right? Yes. It's very, very yeah. preferable for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And what that process would look like for me from here on out would be I'm finishing up my credentialing process right now. And once that credentialing is finalized, then I can begin the application process for career. And the application takes about a year or so to process. Once the application goes through, then I will be able to start my fundraising and itineration from there, yeah. which takes about one to two years. Yeah. So that could be looking at a two to four year process of continuing in the United States to prepare and get ready for going into the field and then starting my first term of three years. Okay, so cool. Maybe you can speak to this. Why is going on a missions trip? I mean, I, I know that everybody assumes it's important. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing, but tell me why. I think there are three really important reasons why it's important to go on a missions trip. The first is to support the missionaries. A lot of people okay. assume that short-term missions trips are not productive, and I think sometimes it depends. But what I've seen as somebody who has hosted a lot of short-term missions trips is that they can be extremely productive in supporting their missionaries for the long run. Having so many extra hands there, even for six days to two weeks, does wonders to work on these big projects that the missionaries don't have time to do on their own without those teams there. So I think the first is to support the missionaries, to get these big projects out of the way, to be a part of these big outreaches that they need the extra help to do. So I would say the first, support the missionaries. Okay. The second is to get to see what missionary life is really like. That was something that really impressed me about Chris and Lindsay Carter, the missionaries that I served with, is that they really prioritize their missions trips through the mindset of, we want you to see what our daily life as missionaries is really like. You know, it's not always yeah. flash mobs, it's not always the tent meetings, but you guys get to do day-to-day -day life with us and see this is what it's like to be a missionary long-term in the field and to help students who are potentially interested in becoming missionaries to see, is this something that God has given me a heart for? Is this something that God wants to call me back to later? So that is another awesome opportunity is we have recruited a lot of team members to our church in Sakuba through these short-term teams that come. Yeah. So I would say that's definitely the second is getting to experience a missionary life. And the third is getting to encounter God in an yeah. amazing new way. One of my favorite things about being in Japan is, especially as somebody who went alone without a team, is that I have 
absolutely nothing to rely on except God. I barely speak the language. I don't have a parent or a leader that I'm already familiar with from my hometown that can walk me by the hand through all this. Now my missionaries were incredible in teaching the culture to me and in guiding me through that process. But I really was able to take on a new level of independence in the field for the first time where it was really just me and God in terms of spiritual growth. And that was the most amazing opportunity to be able to step aside from the daily distractions, even the daily culture that I've grown so used to that I don't even realize is my culture anymore. I just think it's the way the world is and stepping into something so incredibly unfamiliar that God is all I have left to rely on. And it stretches you and it grows your faith in so many incredible ways. And even if it's just for a few days, it is absolutely life-changing. And I absolutely encourage anybody to come on a missions trip, even if that is all you get out of it, is an experience with the Lord, then it's worth it. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that if you think that it's, you know, how important is it for mm-hmm. every student to have an opportunity? For sure. I've never heard any anyone coming back from a missions trip ever. I've never heard someone go, oh, that was such a waste of my time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like, I didn't get anything out of it. My most, mm-hmm. everything I've ever heard is that totally changed my life. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of it also really depends on you. You know, when you go into a missions trip, you get out of it what you put into it. If you get if you get in there with the expectation of, I'm here to serve, I'm here to put God first, and I'm here to support these people and to experience an encounter with the Lord, that is exactly what you will get out of it. Yeah, I really, th- I really think that one of the ways that we could take our leadership program here to a new level is to have a missions trip as part of the experience yeah, absolutely. for all of our students. Like, and we have some options out there. We've been looking at New Orleans and mm-hmm. Mexico and places like that. I always thought it would be cool if we had missions trip opportunities for our students and somehow we were able to sponsor half. Yeah. Because you know, I, re- I, I do feel like, you know, if someone else pays all of it, that maybe it might rob you have some of the experience mm-hmm. I mean, because you're not you know how you just take things differently when you have to work for things and you have to invest in things. Oh, yeah. But if we could like sponsor half somehow. Yeah. And then the student raises the other half. Absolutely. I really think it would I really think it would benefit all of the students that are here to learn leadership. For sure. Um so tell me how has OSL helped you prepare for your calling and missions in Japan? Yeah. I feel like I can honestly say that OSL is the reason that I am the leader that I am today. A lot of that I can attribute to the amazing mentors in my life like Lauren Prescott, Pastor Joey Alcala, Pastor Sue Brooks, you're, yeah. you're quite familiar with her. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, she's all right. All those people are amazing. <laughs> they are, yeah. She's the best of them. <laughs> and I am so grateful for an internship and a group of leaders that saw potential in me as a nervous little freshman that I didn't see in me yeah. and that were able to stretch me and grow me and challenge me to take on challenges that were bigger than me. And so I feel like that really shaped my confidence to go and do something like this. It definitely shaped my flexibility in ministry, which is absolutely crucial in any overseas mission, even domestic mission. In Japan, we said that our number one rule is blessed are the flexible, Uh, for they will bend and not break. And Well, you definitely had to be that here. For sure. Oh, yeah. So I got some great practice in beforehand, but I honestly can say that... I would have had a much more challenging time in Japan if I had not already experienced the growth that came from OSL and the leaders that I've been able to serve with. Here. Yeah, yeah, because I've seen you. I've seen you preach, 
I've seen you teach. Mm-hmm. I've seen you organize productions for all of our kids. You've been on the management side of the entire kids ministry, which, I mean, that's a thousand people of our church, including volunteers and kids and staff. I mean, it's just, it's incredible opportunity mm-hmm. that I think most people would have to wait 10 plus years, you know, but to see you walk in that so early is really amazing. Uh, you're called to missions, but you're serving in Oaks Kids. Why'd you pick Oaks Kids? Well, the Lord first really gave me a burden for Japan at 13. And then when I was 15 years old, I was in a youth camp service. And I feel like the Lord really encountered me again at that altar and said, hey, I want you to really specialize in kids ministry. And it was like a sigh of relief. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I've, <laughs> always, I've always loved working in kids ministry ever since I was a kid. I was a yeah. kid that would run up to my kids pastor. Hey, can I click the slides on ProPresenter today? So yeah. so that's always something that, you know, I think the Lord gave me a joy and a heart for that from the time that I was really young. And so I've been really excited about being involved in kids ministry, not just here, but in Japan. And so, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with not just being a kids pastor, but also, I think the Lord did a lot to bring me specifically to the leadership in Oaks Kids to make me the leader that he needed me to be. Pastor Joey Alcala and Pastor Kate Guajardo have completely shaped my leadership so much. And so even just aside from the possibility of being a kids pastor in Japan someday, I think a lot of that had to do with just becoming a leader and growing into the personality that God has designed for me. And so I think that is a huge part of the reason why God brought me into Oaks Kids, not just for the kids ministry, but for the leadership development that I've gotten through it along the way. Yeah. So really, you know, when we talk about like different ministries and internship opportunities, experiences, people so often think of it occupationally, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you do kids ministry, you're just working with kids and it's just not the case. I mean, there's so much that you've learned being on teams, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, assimilating volunteers to be a part of, you know, encouraging them, yeah. edifying them, uh, working with other pastors on staff. I mean, there's so much more to it than oh, just yeah. that occupational piece. Of, I just work with kids. That's all I do. You uh-huh. know, that's, that's not going to, you're not going to succeed in ministry unless you know how to work with people in all different age groups, parents, mm, you got to work sure. with parents just as much as kids, if not more. Oh yeah. You know? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think two of the areas that I've really been stretched in the most in my kids ministry had nothing to do with interacting with kids. It had to do with being really pastoral and intentional with the youth and the college volunteers that I get to coach and to lead on Thursday night rehearsals and Sunday mornings is really getting to pour into my other volunteers who are serving alongside me. And then in having excellence in time management in planning these productions, like you mentioned, being able to do crazy things I never imagined, like building set designs and climbing up on scaffolds 50 feet in the air and really just having that excellence in time management to get these projects done that I never thought I would be able to do. Yeah, okay, okay. You just actually just led me to have another, I wanted to ask you something else and you just just mentioned time management. I Mm -hmm. want you to tell us how you go about managing your time. Yeah. Your SAGU time, your OSL time, your personal time, your social life, like how do you go about managing all of this? Mm -hmm. Well, some of my friends give me a really hard time about the way that I manage my time because I have three calendars. (laughs) And so I do. (laughs) Yes. I have three calendars. I have my school calendar, Okay. my Oaks calendar, and my daily planner. And so my school calendar, I can attribute to Micaiah Skelton. 
who taught me an amazing system yeah. of getting through courses, especially being a student who takes primarily online courses. He really helped teach me how I can manage my time well to make the most of my online classes yeah. and get a lot of them even knocked out earlier before the school year even ends. So that has been a huge help in having that school calendar, lining up all my syllabuses and planning everything out in advance. And in terms of my Oaks calendar, the key words are just plan ahead. Yeah. Plan ahead, plan ahead, schedule ahead, write sermons ahead. We really encourage each other, keep each other accountable and plan ahead. So then when things come up, they don't need as much time and as much panic once we hit things like big productions, big Sunday fun day events, because we're working together to get those things knocked out early. And when it comes to daily planner, this is where I get a little, a little crazier. <laughs> is I schedule out my days down to the hour the night before. And I will write out, okay. you know, these are my meetings today. These are the social activities that I'm planning today. These are the times when I'm FaceTiming with certain people. So even social activities, I try to be really intentional about planning because I know if I just leave that space open in my calendar, it's going to get filled with something else. Yeah. So I want to take the time to prioritize my social interactions with people, my coffee dates and things like that, especially being an extroverted person. Yeah. I receive a lot of rest and energy from those interactions. So they go in the calendar every time because I want to maximize my rest, even at random moments throughout the week. Awesome. Very wise. Very wise. Well, Jessica, I'm so glad that you could join us here today. I just want to close on one final thought here. Absolutely. If your 18-year-old self was sitting here four years ago and mm. contemplating everything that's in front of them. What is one or two things that you would really want to tell her? I think there are two really foundational things that I want to tell 18-year-old Jess. I think I would first let her know that her vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. Wow. That being vulnerable with those mentors, with those leaders, like Paul says, you know, Christ's power is going to be made perfect through her weakness and that that vulnerability is a strength in her. And then I think the other thing I would want to tell her is that she is not expected to have her mission and her future planned out now, that God does not ask her to put all the puzzle pieces together in this moment, that she is only expected to have obedience one day at a time. And if God doesn't tell her something, it's because she's not supposed to know it yet. Yeah. And just to really focus in on that obedience over planning, awareness, and perfectionism. Cool. Thank you, Jess, for being here. Really appreciate it. It was a great conversation, and I think it's going to bless a lot of people. For sure. Thank you guys so much for having me.